What is the big idea? Managing the expectations of the basic income grant. The Department of Social Development, Minister Lindy Wizard, announced the introduction of the BIG earlier this month. It is proposed to take over the COVID-19 social distress grant once it concludes in 2020 October. Whilst this intervention has been advocated by civil society, policy proposals go as far back as 2000 for this BIG and recommendations were made through in 2002 in the Taylor Report to government. It seems two decades on, it's finally getting the life that was first breathed into it. The question that I have for you, first up, Sasha, can South Africa afford it? Good evening. Good evening. I mean, I think the response to that, you know, kind of off the cuff is that we can't afford not to um, anymore. I mean, I'm going to kind of just paint a little bit of a picture of how dire the situation is at the start of this conversation so that hopefully we can get um, into yes. some more meat um, in the discussion. At, you know, I think what's really important is not just rattling off numbers, but having a human understanding of really um, how bad things are at the moment. I mean, our expanded unemployment rate is at 38.7% for black South Africans. That rate is at 4.3%. Um, the percentage of people living below the upper bound poverty line, meaning that they have less than 1,227 rands in their pocket each month, are 55%. The percentage of people living below the food poverty line are 25.2%. And that means that a quarter of this country has less than 561 rand in their pockets every month. Um, on top of this incredibly um, desperate situation, we've had the pandemic, which is um, you know, we, we're seeing the NISCRAM findings come out, which show that 3 million people have lost their jobs, and there's been an 18%, 1.8% decline in un unemployment. Um, one in three people have lost their income. And what we're seeing in, in that um, information is that um, those who are most vulnerable, including women, um, are becoming even more, more vulnerable. So they're being retrenched or they're being furloughed, which means that, that they aren't receiving pay for the work that they do anymore. So 34% of people who, who were employed are now lo no longer employed or are being furloughed. So, I mean, that's in addition to realizing that that proportion of people is already a, a very small minority of people. I mean, there are absolutely um, no options for accessing the labor markets. Um, yeah, so, so there's a lot going on here, but, but what we need to see is, you know, so there, there's one issue around the grants. We need to be seeing increased grant access and implementation, but we also need to see grant reform. You know, we need to see um, the child support grant, for example, being raised to 580 grand. Um, right now, very few people who are eligible for the grants are accessing the grants, and there's a campaign called Hashtag Pay the Grants which is asking for reform of the, of the grants and for this to set the foundation for the realization of the basic income grants. On the 1st of August, there's also a working class day of action at the Gauteng Provincial Legislature, the GPL, demanding a basic income grant from 10 a.m. There's a powerful swell of support for a basic income grant in South Africa. We definitely need a basic income grant to uplift the most vulnerable. And it's actually... Um, through implementing that, um, well, actually, well, there, there's been a lot of economic modeling. Sorry, to return back to your question um, quite directly, there's been a huge amount of economic modeling by ADRS, IEJ, AIDC, Tricontinental. You know, they're all these groups that are imagining alternative economic modeling and um, spelling out the benefits of a BIG. 
for the economy. It has a fiscal stimulus proponent, so it actually stimulates um, demand-side spending and it increases the GDP, so it makes economic sense at this time. But also in terms of beyond the economic conversation, there's a moral conversation to be had here because people are in situations of structural inequality and we're in a situation where access to formal labor is actually being used to define who um, is a citizen, who gets to be seen and treated as a, as a human being, basically. Um, and a shrinking minority have access to stable wage jobs of a decent standard. When you put money into people's hands, you are allowing them opportunities. You're allowing them opportunities of access. And we need to be looking at, um, you know, the point is that these measures are not a radical response. They're actually like a totally appropriate and practically implementable response to the current situation. You know, so some of the um, information that's coming out shows you know, this data in relation to to the position of women, for example, where out of the 3 million job losses, 2 million of those job losses have been women. So you see that we are living in a society that's not only the most unequal society in the world, um, but it's also a society that has incredibly high levels of things like rape and gender-based violence. Um, so certain people within this country are being subjected to um, all sorts of intersectional oppressions, and it's no longer appropriate. We're not seeing any responses which protect and uplift people, and actually what we are seeing are, is a situation where people are being deliberately oppressed in order to perform the unrecognized work of care in this country. So, you know, um, people are, you know, pushed into these positions of performing feminized care, which socially reproduces the economy. So in 2010, this kind of labor was said to produce 27.3% of the GDP, and that's likely to be much, much higher now. So, you know, all of this is all exacerbated by a situation where we've got a colonial and apartheid past, um, which we haven't recovered from. The poverty and inequality in our society are di- directly related to the dispositions of the, the dispossessions of colonialism and apartheid in this country. And the continued exploitation uh, of black you. people I've in this you, country. Sasha, Sasha I've yes. heard you. I appreciate Sorry. your thoughts, but we, we do need to engage. Is there anything in what you are saying that speaks to an exchange? In other words, is this a transaction or is it a handout? I mean, the point is that there's no such thing as handouts. Often we look at support to vulnerable groups as these kind of like um, soft priorities or as these nice to have. It's not a situation that, I mean, that doesn't re- represent the situation at all. Something like a basic income grant can have, for example, massive me- mental health benefits. And when you look at the trauma no, no, that is inflicted by the reality of poverty my, my in this is... country... Sasha, my question yeah. is not what the benefits are for getting a grant. My question mm-hmm. is, currently, the structure or what you propose being done in the present context, does any of that speak into this becoming an exchange? Here's why. Charity and work mm-hmm. are different things. I'm, I'm not speaking now about the grant itself. Remove the grant arguments for a moment here. If you mm-hmm. give me money versus I do something for that money, I would imagine Songhezo, as many would, 
feel more empowered when it is an exchange. I have earned it. I've done something. I've invested even. I can therefore mm. own it that much more than you rolling down your window at the robots and giving me something. That eats I mean, into my dignity because it's as if now I have to, to wait if you give me a chance, please. If you give me a chance, come on, give me a chance. If I have to just get something without it at all being a transaction, there's nothing yes. attached to it. There's nothing that binds me to the person to whom I'm giving this thing or the person who is giving me this thing. It's I just hear you. literally. But this idea a is point. based on an erroneous assumption that people in this country do not want to work, that people in this country do not want to take advantage of opportunities, that when given a choice, people won't make the choice for a form of work that provides them with dignity. You see people collecting trash, making opportunities for themselves, all the evidence, and I can't separate it from a discussion around the BIG because all of the evidence around the BIG shows that when you put money into people's hands, they create opportunities for themselves. Mm. Right now, mm. we are in a situation where there is massive chronic structural unemployment. There aren't options for people to access employment. So when we're saying we only fully recognize you as a human being when you have access to to um, employment and then totally denying any option for people to to occupy those positions, that is a form of structural oppression that is not appropriate to a constitutional democracy and it urgently needs to be addressed. And not only that, but addressing it has positive economic impact and influences as well as human. Um, you know, right now we are literally condemning to condemning people to a living death in this country. People are not surviving. You see people shielding their children from hunger by, hunger by starving themselves. You know, this is some of the, the information that's starting to come out. I mean, it's not yeah, an acceptable sure. situation. And, and this, um, you know, I said this information is just starting to come out. You know, there's a fundamental misunderstanding. You know, so often we're, you know, still fighting in 2020 to be have existence, basic existence recognized, you know, there aren't um, policies to address the oppressive structure, structural realities. And you, you see that, you know, we, we're still fighting to be reflected in terms of things like indicators, budget allocations, policy prioritizations, M&E, basic existence. So even when you look at um, femicide in this country, you know, you need to understand that, that, that even our current picture is is skewed. It doesn't often include how mm. um, trans men are subjected to that or how trans women are also um, forced into positions of unrecognized care work. You know, the picture is so shocking and needs to so urgently be addressed. And our understanding of it isn't even complete yet. I mean, that to me is out, outstanding. And, you know, myself, my positionality is a white middle class person, which means that I, by definition, have a limited perspective and understanding of the realities of these existence of, of these existences that people are being subjected to, you know. So I mean it's an absolutely appalling and disgraceful reality, you know. Um, and I just want to mention that Sonia Palatin I'll give you an opportunity to mention that after the break. We have to take a twenty I mean a ten to nine ad break now, Sasha. We'll sure. return and I'll give you some more opportunities, perhaps in the final eight minutes or whatever left is of that time until nine to respond and finish up the segment. But stay tuned okay. everybody, Sasha Knox talking about basic income grants and matters incidental therewith after this. SAFM leading the conversation. The viewpoint, eight to ten p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songe somapepe on SAFM. 
critical debates taking place here. Basic income grant. Where to for South Africa? I am still to hear some of the thoughts of the people sitting at home. What are your thoughts of South Africa's social development minister announcing that there shall be a basic income grant? The first response to that question, whether or not South Africa can afford it, the response was, and it was quite a striking one, South Africa cannot afford to have one. And and everything you have said, Sasha, by the way, don't think for a moment I'm disagreeing with you. I have for the most part, seen this poverty because it's my neighbor, it's my aunt, it's my brother, it's my uncle. It's somebody who is one person removed from me, especially when I go to the Eastern Cape, to the villages of Ewutlsi, Sitsigama in particular, in Tala, where my mother's side comes from, or inside where I actually live. I have seen this and I've experienced it. And some of these questions are tailored in relation to my experience. Let me say poverty because that's essentially what it is. I mean, you are a senior research and budget analyst in the studies in poverty and inequality institute. So I'm not at all degrading a human being. I'm having a sober conversation to the extent that I can muster about how we can change these issues at a structural level. And I appreciate that you've mentioned that word quite constantly. To the extent we need structural reform, mm. I am saying, and I'm putting my head on the block here because this is a thought that I have, thought based mm. on the experiences that I've had with poverty and at the time, twice for that matter, where I was unemployed collectively for two years. Mm. At no point did I ever want somebody to come and give me money more mm. than I wanted an opportunity for me to earn that money, to mm. own my space and to give myself an opportunity to move from the base of just getting money and no more, but getting money because I've done something, prove myself and be worth more in time. Mm -hmm. So the question was, and I'm gonna repeat it just in essence, of these structural reforms, is one of them not the need to re-engage how we offer social security in this country? The constitution speaks of social security. It doesn't speak of a grant. A grant has been interpreted now to be money or social security has been interpreted to be money. But social security can take place in many forms. It could be shelter, it could be vouchers for accessing internet and communication, for accessing transport, for accessing job sites. I mean, I'm just thinking this off the cuff of my head. It's not an exhaustive list. But to an extent where there is an exchange, where you are getting the views of somebody who can then help you remodify your structure of social security, is that not perhaps an opportunity for reform in the structural reform that is necessary, as opposed to keeping it as it is? Is only increasing it in value, which is what is happening. It's increasing in volume, it's increasing in value. I submit to you that is not sustainable. Mm. I mean, I think that um, something important is that, um, you know, there are many kind of options um, for a basic income guarantee. The cash transfers group of the People's C19 Coalition working on um, COVID-19 people-centered responses have modeled, you know, the impacts on um, food poverty if, um, you know, we, we looked at one of three various options, and these are all practically implementable options that have been economically modeled. But, you know, they're options like a basic income guarantee, a social assistance grant, or a job guarantee. Um, but I think that's something that's really important, and I want to circle back around to this, is that people in this country simply do not have the luxury of... Um, 
saying that, you know, they want formal wage employment. People in this country don't even have money in their pockets to be able to get into a taxi, never mind the increased risks that they are subjected to in having to take full public transportation to access a job or have data to be able to access the, the public participation mechanisms that are being implemented in this context. Um, when we look at the structural oppressions that are still rife in this country, we have to understand that a basic income grant would be something that appropriately addresses all of those structural oppressions. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to also just uh, kind of turn this back around and say, you know, we're not talking about handouts in a context where um, there are actual cuts to important social services. Not only are we seeing a lack of protection for the most vulnerable, we're actually seeing the most vulnerable pushed increasingly into these um, excluded positionalities where the options to participate in the economy are simply not available to them. Um, so, you know, for example, in the um, 2020 supplementary adjusted budget, you know, we all have heard about the National St Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide, but there are absolutely no budget allocations made in the special adjusted budget or, or the supplementary budget, however you refer to it, for gender-based, for this plan. So I think we have to be very cautious. We can see the president get on TV and talk about the second pandemic uh, that's affecting the most vulnerable in our societies. At the same time, there is nothing being actually budgeted for those for those allocations. And you're also seeing that there are cuts to important things like the two to care centers, you know, in the context of of the second pandemic of gender-based violence to see these 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 cuts. It's outstanding, you know, and we have to realize that cuts to social security programs, a lack of adequate social protection, you know, for many people in this country, this is now a matter of life and death. Um, and the price of such policies really have to be measured in human lives. Um, yeah, so I agree with you that there are a few different options. But I do think that the context of, you know, and, and like I said, there's also been Final so much economic modeling. Yes, sorry. No, I'm just saying, just round the point up because we have to go to the news now, please. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, yeah, I, was... I mean, so, so the point is our, our policies are not adequately addressing vulnerability in this country. We need a basic income grant to uplift the most vulnerable, and it's, um, you know, through the universalization of that that we could make sure that it is adequately implemented. The COVID-19 grant should be the first step towards a basic income guarantee for those previously ignored by the grant system. And this is the only Excellent. adequate and appropriate way to address the structural violence and vulnerabilities that we still see in this country. Those are the thoughts of Ms. Sasha Knox, Senior Researcher and Budget Analyst at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. Thanks, Sasha. Thank you.